0: Against Cancer podcast. We are your hosts, Gemma Hillier-Moses, Move Charity founder, lover of all things running, travel and tea. And I'm Lucy Gossage, oncologist, outdoor adventure lover and 5K Your Way co-founder. I'm Georgie Freeman, lover of exploring new places and the 5K Your Way manager. The reason we originally set up this podcast was to inspire and support and empower people to move and live an active and fulfilling life despite a cancer diagnosis. In this podcast, we want to share the stories of ordinary people doing incredible things as they find their own way to move against cancer. Going through cancer treatment can feel incredibly isolating and lonely. There's so much behind every individual cancer journey, and so much of it is unseen and often unspoken. We want to explore the ways our guests navigate their way through the unimaginable. And we hope that by doing this, we can provide you with some tips, some tools and some inspiration to make your journey that little bit easier. We'll cover every aspect of living with and after cancer, from physical and psychological wellbeing, identity, goal setting, mindset, staying active, grief and loss, family and friends, and so much more. We will make you laugh, but we also may make you cry. But we guarantee that you'll take something away from every single episode. So we do really hope that you enjoy listening. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Move Against Cancer podcast. Um, my name's Georgie. I'm the 5K Away operational manager. And we're here today with Helen. Helen has very kindly offered to share this episode with us that she's recorded for her fantastic Inside Try Show podcast. So we're stepping in this take takeover from Lucy and Gemma for, for one week only. They'll be back soon with some awesome guests. Um, we're really excited for this episode. So, so lucky to have Helen, who is a fabulous interviewer. Um, so firstly, Helen, can you just tell us a bit about the Inside Tri Show, what that's all about, and the work you do for Move Charity, those two work hats that you wear, please?
1: Yeah, definitely. So I think it might be really useful to know that my background is actually in journalism. So that's one thing. And then I had a big career change in 2018. And I had done all my qualifications. And I started to work for move as a cancer rehab instructor. But at the same time as doing that, I still enjoy the process of, I guess, broadcasting. And so now I manage to juggle both the cancer rehab work with MOVE. So I do three days a week, I look after MOVE's online programme for 13 to 30 year olds. And then the rest of the time, I do a few different things. And one of those being the Inside Tri-Show podcast, because I am very passionate about triathlon and endurance sports. And I love sharing people's stories. So that's how the two things come together.
0: Fantastic. That's awesome to know. And if anyone wants to know more about the Move Online program, we have had some episodes previously um, with, with Sophie Mulligan, um, and other guests talking about the Move Online program. Um, and head to our Move um, charity website to find out more about the fantastic program that Helen does as well. And shout out to um, Sophie and Beth, our other cancer rehab instructors too um so moving on to this fantastic episode and we have the brilliant Luke Grenfell Shaw um Luke has been on this podcast before quite a while ago now um the episode called talking being a can liver back in October last year during COVID um but for anyone that doesn't know about Luke Grenfell Shaw and his amazing expedition um Bristol to Beijing Helen can you give us a bit of background please
1: Sure. So Luke is an incredible young man. He was diagnosed with stage four cancer when he was 24. He was a really, really active guy. He was a runner. He was a triathlete. He he loved adventures when he was diagnosed with cancer. And he had a dream when he was younger of cycling around the world. So when he had finished his treatment, he decided to... Go about fulfilling that dream. But you'll hear in this interview, he also wanted to show what is possible despite a cancer diagnosis. So he set off on Bristol to Beijing on Chris, his tandem, in January of 2020. Obviously, then COVID hit, which threw more spanners into the works. But In 2022, in the summer of 2022, Luke completed his ride. He actually completed it in Bristol rather than Beijing because China was shut, the borders were shut due to COVID. So Luke had to come up with another way of completing that distance. He didn't want to just not make it. So instead, he spent a month at different locations in London, covering those 3,000 kilometres on a static bike or a turbo trainer at different places around London before finally cycling to the finish to Bristol. So this is a really, really good chat. It is definitely worth going back, listening to the initial interview with him in October 2021. If you want more of a background with him, he was on Inside Tri Show uh, episode 11 at the very beginning of the whole Uh, Yeah, the whole adventure, the whole journey. And I wanted to catch up with him once he had completed it. So you're going to enjoy the next 50 minutes or so. But I kicked off by asking him Bristol to Beijing, what is it? Is it an adventure? Is it a bike ride? What does he think?
0: Awesome. Thanks so much, Helen. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat to us and for sharing this podcast with us. Um, Over to listening to Luke and I think it's fair to say inspiring is a word that does get thrown around a lot, but Luke is definitely the epitome of inspiring to move against cancer. So enjoy this episode. Thanks.
2: I like to call it an expedition uh, because that sounds a little bit more mm, like, you know, professional perhaps than adventure makes it sound slightly more uh, uh, epic. Let's say epic. (laughs) You know, not not that it was amazing, the epic. There'd be much, much bigger expeditions worthy of the title of expedition. But, uh, you know, it's a bit of a PR exercise. So.
1: And does it does it feel like you have completed that expedition?
2: You know, what, Helen, I was cycling and I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, but I was cycling on the final day from Bath to Bristol on the, on the very final day of Bristol to Beijing and it was an absolutely incredible day because i had 150 of the closest people to me who were there you know it was like it was like a wedding without any rings without getting married you know best of both worlds but it felt like i was cycling from bath to bristol i i wasn't cycling to beijing
1: Is there is there then that still that bit of you that would like to go back and do the whole of China?
2: Yeah, yeah, it's still there. Like I think this is a really interesting one because I am that the last month of doing the final three thousand kilometers, which I would have been cycling in China, but I couldn't because China was closed because of COVID. This final, this last month has just been incredible. Like I had over four hundred people join on the back of the tandem in locations throughout London. You know, we set up a turbo. We were in I don't know uh, the Excel Centre on Trafalgar Square, Kings Cross, down in Clapham. You know, we we're all over London, and I had people from you know all around the world, you know, a guy in roller skates from Chile come and join, you know, the guys from Lebanon, I had like 20 States of America, a guy from Hawaii who had stage four cancer 21 years ago and like is still here, which was like the most like mind blowing kind of event to happen. So there are lots of amazing things. And if, if, if I'm for some reason, you know, you know, China remains closed or, Um, you know for some reason I'm not able to you know let's say I'm you know I'm not around I will be so so happy and this is absolutely the right thing to do to take control of the fact I couldn't get to China and finish this ride off because if I'm not able to do any more for whatever reason I will know I've done done what I set out to do and done myself proud
1: And Luke, what what was the aim of the whole expedition?
2: First and foremost, it was to realise a dream that I've had since I was like 15 years old, which was to cycle around the world. And that was a dream that I very successfully carried on putting off, as most of us do with our dreams. You know, so after I graduate from uni, after I get a job, you know, after I buy a house, have kids, you know, all of the laters, laters, laters. And as you know, Helen, just over four years ago, I was diagnosed with cancer. It was something that I didn't think I would survive. And on that day that I was diagnosed, when I was in Southmead hospital thinking, my God, my world has gone to shit. Um, If there's one more thing I want to do. It's going to be cycle around the world. So that's a long way of saying that the, the most important thing for me of the last four years has been to realize that dream. But there's so much more to it than that.
1: What are the other bits, Luke? One thing
2: that this journey became is an expression of what you can do with cancer. And I did it on a tandem bike because I wanted to share the journey with other people. And initially I was just thinking about my friends and my family and the fact that because I'm an impatient cyclist, I didn't want to like wait for them. (laughs) (laughs) However, um, what it became and I realized quite very early on before the ride actually started that there was this amazing opportunity to share this journey with other people with cancer because what I realized was that it's all very well for Luke to have got through treatment and then start this journey and ride across the world and show what's possible with cancer but that message becomes so much more powerful and real and accessible. When you see that I shared this journey with a 17 year old guy from India who hadn't been on his bike for two years, turned up in jeans and a jumper and a woolly hat, says, I wanna cycle with you. I think he's not gonna last more than an hour. We cycle a thousand kilometers together across India and he had cancer. So it's not actually me showing what's possible with cancer, it's Dev in India, and it's Kate, who all had diagnosed with stage four cancer about the same time as me, and she cycled from Tashkent, which is the capital of Uzbekistan, all the way through Kazakhstan and to Kyrgyzstan um, and the capital there, Bishkek. You, know, She is showing what's possible with cancer. And to me, that's become like the much wider message. And then if I'm not warbling on too much, really the, the, the big picture is that, you know what? It doesn't matter if you have cancer or not. We all only have one life. It's all going to end, whether because of cancer or something else. And Are you going to, how are you going to to do the things that really matter? And how do you respond to the challenges that you get dealt? And I got dealt the big challenge of having cancer, but everyone faces challenges. And what I've come to realize is it's not about the challenge that you face, it's how you respond to it.
1: Luke, how did someone like Dev, how did he end up on the back of Chris, your tandem?
2: So one of the things that we did is partnered with local charities, local cancer charities. And that was super important to me because um, we wanted to support organizations that were doing great work in the countries. I was passing through, you know, we're supporting uh, 5K Your Way, Trek Stock, Teenage Cancer Trust, and Young Lives. Those are like the UK charities. But you know what, Helen, you know, like the UK medical system is amazing. Like it's the most incredible thing, like, and you, oh my God, like, if you go to a government hospital in a place like Dhaka, you know, in Bangladesh or Kolkata, it's, oh, it's just so difficult to describe. You know, imagine a room where you've got, you know, 50 beds all in the same room it's hot. There are fans, you know, but it, it's like 30, 35 degrees. There is no privacy. You've got like two or three people on a single bed because you know it's the child and there's the mom and there's the grandmom. You know, there's a few nurses, there's, there's a doctor on duty. There are people like lying in the corridors, you know, that I don't want to be negative about it because it's made huge strides and the doctors and the nurses there work incredibly hard and do huge amounts with little resources. But when you see that, you're like, fuck me like you, I, I had a room to myself there was a bloody like Dyson air conditioner you know like one of those fans yeah. which was amazing um my my parents could they had a bed to themselves that they could be in and this is thanks to teenage cancer trust that that you know, the teenage and young adult ward was there you know it is it, worlds apart so mm. to bring it back round to me it was really important to support charities that were doing work in places that have so much reduced resources compared to the UK and the the charity that we were working with in India was called Can Kids Kids Can helping kids with cancer um, and they introduced me to Dev so it was a very long answer to quite a short question
1: but so so then right They introduce you to him. You're thinking he's gonna last like an hour on, on Chris. And then he ends up doing a thousand kilometers. What kind of stuff are you talking about, Luke, over those days?
2: It was such a special time in the ride, Helen, because it was the crystallization, the actualization of everything I hoped this ride would be. Because I had someone from India explaining what was going on giving me so much depth to all the interactions that i was having so you dev oh he's such a wonderful amazing guy you know he's just does you know he's an ethical hacker in his spare time he still hasn't finished school um he has just such a beautiful way of speaking english like full of like images and pictures and he would explain like all these different hindi phrases you know and one of my favorite was um it's like uh When, um, you know, when the blanket's not big enough, you know, when you're lying in bed and the blanket's not big enough, you have to like tuck in your feet. You have to like tuck in your knees. And that kind of means that like when you don't have enough money, you know, to, to make ends meet, you have to kind of cut back. You know, so whatever it is, like Dickens of sort of, you know, if you have 20 shillings outgoings and 19 shillings, um, you know, income, then that's total misery. And if it's the other way around, then you're happy. You know, it's the same phrase, but it's just such a beautiful thing. And Dev was very streetwise, stopped us getting scammed. Um, Very eloquent.
1: Wow. That's amazing.
2: He is he's a remarkable guy. He's he's a super, super guy um it was very funny because like everyone has their own personality on the back of the tandem you know their own way of doing things but dev perhaps more so than anyone because you know i'd be working away on the front you know and I'm, i've been doing this for you know a year and a half i'm quite fit you know i'm happy to just chug away and then like on the back like dev would be kind of like almost like slouched back like on his mobile phone and he'd be like, hey mom, how's it doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just on the back with Luke. Yeah, it's going well. Luke, my mum says hi. Do you want to say anything to her? And I'm like, just say hi to her, Dev. <laughs> and then he'd like put the phone down. And then like five minutes later, he'd be like, you know, talking to a cousin. And then like a friend. And it just like went on and on and on. Um and, but it was very beautiful that Dev was able to be part of the, his the ride in, in, in his own way.
1: Yeah. Definitely. And look, I, I, we obviously met up in London when you were doing the final month on the turbo at different locations and Chris, the tandem, Chris is very, very heavy. And just even getting on it, it was difficult to pedal. I, I found, and <laughs> it's not exactly the easiest of, of bikes to, to maneuver either, is it?
2: Yeah, I remember um, very early on, in fact, when I was in Nottingham, going to see Lucy Gossage, of all people, first time I met her, you know, I was running late. I was following... You were stupidly. running late, Luke.
1: You were running late.
2: Shocker. Does <laughs> Lucy run late as well? Is no, that... you, you, you run late. <laughs> I, I do run late. Oh, God. <laughs> reputations. Yeah, no, I do. So letting you into a secret here, Helen, I was running late. And um, I was stupidly following Google Maps bike route to get to Lucy's house, and this was taking me on like the canal path. And before you get onto the canal path, there's like one of those sort of you know bike gates, so you can't get a motorbike or a car through there. You know, you sort of have to weave your yep. way through, which is fine on a bicycle. But when you're on a tandem with a trailer and four bags, you know, stupidly. I started to try and weave it through, found that I couldn't get it round the bend because this whole thing is the length of a bus. (laughs) Then I realised that trying to reverse this is about as easy as, you know, sort of trying to reverse an articulated lorry, like, you know, into a sort of cafe or something, you know, didn't didn't work very well. And what you find is the bike is so heavy that that, in the trailer, knife jacks, that all the weight, just like tips away from you, and it, you know, Chris just ended up on the floor. So there I was, late for Lucy. Surprise, surprise. Then with this bike on the floor, unable to reverse it out of this narrow passageway, cursing to hell, is thinking, what the, you know, what is this bike? You know, like, and I've got, I've got thirty thousand kilometers of this ahead of me. You know, Chris and I, we had a rocky relationship. I mean, like, you imagine this. This wasn't like a happy marriage from the beginning.
1: <laughs> but didn't you didn't the brakes go on Chris at, at one point when you're going uh downhill rather rapidly?
2: That 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 did happen Helen. Yes, thank you for ringing that. Uh so I I was cycling in Kyrgyzstan and Kyrgyzstan is known for its mountains. It's known as the Switzerland of Central Asia, which is beautifully evocative and there are beautiful lakes and beautiful mountains. Um, But unlike in, say, Western Europe, in France, you've got your beautiful alpine climbs that zigzag up quite nicely at a steady sort of 7% or something. You know, in Kyrgyzstan, they're like, well, we'll just we'll just go straight down the hill. That's fine. It's a mountainside, but who cares? That's quicker. Um, So, you know, Russian engineering for you or Soviet engineering. So you know, we just crested this summit at about 3,500 metres and Carolyn, uh, who's a friend from America, she is with me on the bike and we're going downhill, very quickly pick up a lot of speed, hit sort of close to 50 miles an hour, overtaking these trucks with you know uh, trunks hanging out the back of them. And I think, well, we're going a bit too fast. You know, so I pull on the brakes, we slow right down going in about 15 miles an hour. And I think, you know, we probably should just stop at this point and just take take a breather because that was, that's was quite a lot. So I pull on the brakes a little bit harder and we stop getting slower. And we start to get a little bit faster. Oh my God. And just immediately in my head, I was just like, we've got to get off this bike. And yeah, I, I shout back to Carolyn. I'm like, the brakes aren't working. Yeah, Carolyn's known me for about two weeks. So I don't know what was going on in her mind, but you know, she's just like, when? I'm like, well, no, now seems I like know. a pretty good time. But the thing is, I, I don't know about you, Helen, but did you ever get taught how to jump from a bike? No. No, no, nor did I. <laughs> so we're like heading down this mountain, getting faster and faster. There's this metal roadside barrier coming pretty rapidly towards us. We've got the short window to jump from the bike. And I'm there on the front of the bike, knowing that this is the time to jump, but not knowing how to jump. And this metal barrier is coming closer and closer. And I'm like, I'm screwed. But you know what, Helen? I I don't know what Carolyn's childhood was like, but it was very different from mine and yours because she did know how to jump from a bike. (laughs) She throws herself off to the right, Chris, the tandem, flies off to the left, and one glorious moment, I'm Superman, just travelling through the air. Which very rapidly and unhappily ends when I start skiing on my elbows and my knees through this grip and like avoid this metal barrier by about six
1: inches oh my goodness and look overall did the whole expedition did it like live up to your own expectations of of, you know that dream that childhood dream of I want to cycle around the world
2: yeah it really did and I was really happy with the way that I did it, which was in contrast to previous cycle touring that I've done where I've just smashed miles because this was and continued throughout the journey to be about the journey, like about each and every day as it came, being one that I wanted to live, being having stuff that I was excited about. And... I always said and to an extent it it is true that it's never been about getting to Beijing it's about setting out on on some relatively arbitrary goal because of the journey that that sends you on and yeah I I think I'm only coming to terms or understanding it now because like when you're back in the UK and you start saying things like you know when cycling with, like you know the the, the ambassador of like Bangladesh or ended up, you know, having like a kind of barbecue shashlik with these Uzbek wedding photographers, you know, like sentences like that, you know, they didn't feel remarkable at the time, but then you're like, I was so lucky. I really was.
1: And you you see it out that actually it is a lot of luck that some of the things you've managed to experience
2: there is a lot of luck, and there's been huge amounts of support from not, not just the Bristol of the Beijing team, but they've been amazing. And they, they're just friends, family, volunteers who have made all of this happen. And they've, they've just been brilliant over the last three years. But it's been more than just then. Like, there have been hundreds, if not thousands of people who have personally bought into the idea of this expedition. To, you know, most obvious example is I crossed through eight countries that were officially, you know, at that time closed because of COVID. You know, we managed to get exceptions for eight countries and I thought China would be the ninth and it just wasn't to be. That's because people really brought in and decided this is something that they wanted to help.
1: I You know what, I was actually, I was going to pick your brains on that one because there were times when I would have been stuck in my house (laughs) and thinking, Oh, life's really rubbish at the moment because of COVID, obviously. So, a lot of people in lockdown, and then seeing like these photos, and you're thinking, how's Luke having all the fun? Like, what's that about?
2: Yeah, I think that's a really good point, yeah. Helen. Um, I think, you know, lockdown was, you know, an incredibly difficult time for people. And I um, was very, very fortunate to to be able to avoid a lot of the difficulties in in the UK, like massively, massively fortunate. And and I'm I'm really aware of that. In some ways, I think travel, once you're out of the UK, was easier than I expected. I know that's very easy for me to say, you know, as someone who's travelled and wasn't in that UK bubble. But one of the things that I was really surprised about was the response to COVID was not universal. There wasn't a universal set of standards. Some countries had very strict lockdowns, incredibly strict lockdowns, like Uzbekistan. You know, there was the army on the street in the first three weeks or something. But after that, kind of anything went. Um, and there were pros and cons to all of this. But I really, one of the things I, I really noticed what people were prioritizing connect, like human connections, and seeing that as really important. And you know, living living their lives and and taking a risk and taking risk and and for some of them that wouldn't have paid off, but for a lot of them that I'm I'm sure did.
1: Covid, in a way, actually had quite a big sort of influence or impact on your ride in terms of the route, in terms of actually not being able to get into China to to do that final leg and Lowry got in touch and she asked a question and she said is there somewhere that didn't happen that you would still love to go to on your bike
2: i mean china china is the big elephant in the room here i would have gone through russia if there hadn't been covid i would have gone like ukraine russia georgia i would still like to go to russia i think it'd be a fascinating place to go to right now particularly because of what's happening in ukraine um so to to understand and talk to people living throughout russia you know i would lo- i'd love to spend more time there I- I've lived there before. So I think Russia would be a fascinating country to go through and I, yeah I guess it, it it's got to be China really.
1: And weren't you you just mentioned Ukraine then weren't you were in mariupol weren't you at, at one point on your ride.
2: Yeah I spent about 10 days of the grimmest cycling that I've almost <laughs> ever done in Ukraine. This was in December 2020. So I'd only been back on the road during this COVID pandemic for sort of three or four months. And I was going into this incredible headwind for like, you know, for for, for 10 days, it was like 60 kilometers an hour, unrelenting. And I mean, unrelenting, like there was no break ever. Oh, that's the worst. (laughs) And so I was grinding along at, I don't know, you know, I, I could run faster, easily run faster, probably, you know, like, eight or nine k's an hour wow and, you know i was just like this is what you know and i was cycling from um from west to east of going from odessa to mariopol and i was thinking am i you know is there any point you know like why am i doing this you know like i'm gonna go to turkey afterwards anyway no one's gonna care um but for me actually deep down it's it's, it's this ride's always been about personal integrity like you know that's I, i'm not trying to set a record so why do anything um and I, I was like, you know, what's, what's, what's the point of going to Mariupol? Like, what's going to be there? And we'd been put in touch and said, there's this um, bishop who had done this sort of big cycle trip and he'd be quite keen to meet you and he's a cool guy. And we're sort of thinking, oh, cool. Right. Well, we'll, we'll do that. Um, didn't really think much more of it. When we get to Mariupol, we're greeted by this bishop. He's called Gennady Mohnenko. And he's this big guy. He's like got the build of like a boxer. He's probably like six foot two or three. He's got this booming voice and these sparkling blue eyes. An incredibly charismatic guy. Uh, We did a whole video on this, The Road to Mariupol, which you can find on the Bristol to Beijing YouTube channel. But like he had saved, I guess saved is probably the right word, like thousands of, or certainly hundreds, if not thousands of children had been through his orphanage that he set up. And he had personally adopted 37 of those kids. Wow. And they had come from Mariupol streets, right? And these were like the, the rejects of the rejects because these guys had like drug addictions, like alcohol addictions. Like you showed us some of the photos and you've got like arms that are like you know, pockmarked with these red, you know, whatever they're called, you know, yeah. where they've been injecting. You know, it was, it was, you know, and I got there without knowing any of this. And I was like, oh, these are normal kids. Having no idea where they came from. And so for me, the huge tragedy here is like, okay, Mariopolis itself was not like the prettiest city I ever Mm. went to. Mm. But the people there, like, that's all been destroyed. That's been literally raised to the ground, like such bright, wonderful People and communities, that's really what's been lost in my mind.
1: Wow, well, I I guess, Luke, you would have seen loads and loads of so much different stuff that enabled you to think about different things. But was your health ever on your mind much?
2: It's a good question, Helen. When I when I started the ride, I didn't expect to finish it it's really difficult to like articulate now the situation then because I think everyone goes oh we finished the ride he had cancer well you know he was you know that was always going to be the case he was one of the no like this isn't the sort of cancer that you survive and actually you know I was it was very surprising, actually, like mum and I uh, did a, an interview on BBC Radio Bristol and she told me and I never heard this before. She said, um, you know, my friends would ask me, you know, like, are you looking forward to sort of like going to Beijing and like you know, celebrating with Luke? And this was right at the beginning. And she was like, she's like, but that's I mean, that's just clearly not going to happen. You know, like why are you that? That's not even a question in my mind. And I remember at those very early days of the ride, I had an ache in my shoulder in my left shoulder. You know, that's where I had my initial cancer. It's where I had surgery to remove it. And I remember it aching a lot within sort of three or four days.
1: And I was like, I was just like,
2: you know, like I'm, you know, it's come back, it's come back, like, and I've just started and I went, I went back to Bristol. I, I had a scan done, you know, and I was like, it's all going to be over before I started. Cause this is, this is the beginning, you know, of, of, of it growing back, um, but it, but it wasn't, you know, it was the strain on my shoulder because of the handlebars and, you know, people wobbling around on the back. But that's how present it was and that's how real it was at the beginning.
1: What about later on Luke?
2: So it was something that on the whole I didn't think about that much generally but generally at about the time when I was due for a scan I would you know, start to sort of think. Oh, my um, my lungs seem to be. You know, there seems to be pain in my lungs, or there's an ache in my shoulder. And I'd never got over the top about it, but I was always actually really glad when I did those scans because I was like, well, maybe there's there's something, you know, maybe there's something here. Um, and 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 so in that way, it was it was present. You know, every single time I got a scan done, you know, I just I just didn't know the result, and I still don't know what that result will be when it comes back.
1: So, were you getting like three monthly scans on the road? And did you still have scan, like scan anxiety in maybe the few days leading up to that?
2: Yeah. I mean, um, yes and yes. I had scans in Bucharest, which is you know, the capital of Romania, Tbilisi, capital of Georgia, Almaty, which is in Kazakhstan, and Kolkata in India. You know, and I, it, it, you know, when we, before, before we started, we think, well, I'm going to have to return fly back to the UK for scans, but actually, you know what? These countries have their own medical systems. They have CT scanners, they have x-ray machines, they have like super qualified medics and doctors. Um, So actually, you know, we'd get the scans done and we'd send the results back to my team in the UK. And then, yeah, but, but before the call, cool, I try not to think about it too much, but it's like, yeah, this could all come, this could all come to an end, you know, this could all stop. And the next, thing i will do is fly back to the uk like that was i was super aware of that
1: and what what was it like getting on the plane from india back to the uk at that point knowing that you had finished the ride that you could do because obviously china being closed due to covid and that was the reason that you were getting back on the plane yet you hadn't quite (laughs) almost completed it because you still had that month to to do
2: um what I was really happy about was that I had identified a way that I felt I could finish the ride at that point. You know, I could take control of that situation. And for me, that's, that's something of a mantra, which getting cancer forced me to develop a strategy to do so, because there's a big situation that you cannot control whether you have cancer or not, but you do get to control your response and that was i guess something i developed first with cancer but then you know when covid happened and i had to stop the trip for the first time you know that could again be like oh my dream has been stripped away from me this isn't fair you know this has been you know my this is my life i've been deprived of this my one opportunity in life to cycle across the world what is this but I very, you know, I immediately realized that, you know, I can't control whether there's COVID. I can't control whether the borders are open. So, what am I going to do in this time that is going to be enjoyable and fun and something that I believe in, you know, and go ahead and do that? And it was really the same thing when I got to the border with China and I couldn't go into China. Fine, I can't go into China. What am I going to do instead? You know, like, what can I do in this situation? And for me, the, the inclusivity of the ride in London doing the distance so that physical side that meant that I could yeah it was in the spirit I was still spreading a message I was still including people.
1: And were there bits during that month in London that actually were so so special that you wouldn't have had had you been you know on your bike in in China and I know that's quite hypothetical but I guess some of the highlights which you just wouldn't have expected.
2: One thing that was special about it was the way that it meant that I could connect the ride with the UK, and what I mean by that is when I was cycling on Trafalgar Square, I that there's this you know tall Sikh guy with a blue turban, this you know sort of um, navy blue jacket, this amazing you know uh, white moustache. And we, we got chatting, he joined on the back, he cycled a kilometer and you know, we started discussing, you know, and like, oh yeah, I've been to Amritsar, I've been to Chandigarh. Oh, who do you know in Chandigarh? Oh yeah, yeah. And then, you know, then there are those connections. So to be able to make the connections between the road and what I and, and the UK and find that um, one thing that I also learned that I thought was very interesting and was very apparent in, in the UK context is that in the UK, we don't often meet strangers. And what I, one of the things that was super special about this is I was meeting, like having conversations with 50 people that I had, I'd never met them in my life before, you know? Didn't know a thing about them and they didn't know, you know a thing about me either. And like, that was really special. You know, it's what you do adventuring and traveling all the time, but to actually discover that you can do that in the UK, that's quite a realization it was for me
1: it was pretty amazing actually when we were with you on one of the days with move charity and just yeah seeing all these different people getting on the back of that bike and it did seem that you had to have the same conversation over and over and over again often there would be talk of cancer in that conversation sometimes did you just want to like uh, kind of be there but not be there?
2: I think that's fair. what you said that i I was such a privilege it was such an opportun- amazing opportunity, but uh it left me exhausted you know at the end of each day. I remember in the first month of this ride, I was just outside of Nottingham. Um, I was staying with my godparents. Uh, and my mum was there and this was just after Nottingham and being late for Lucy Gossage and then we'd done the 5k your way run that morning and then we'd cycled you know I think 15 miles or something together from Nottingham to where my uh, godparents were and I really remember t- telling my mum you know like this has been like the most exhausting month of my life but like the most exhilarating and exciting and impactful and I felt and I still feel so lucky to have almost stumbled into a situation where I find that I'm like incredibly passionate about something and that just comes and I think that there is just this energy that comes out when I'm talking about you know, let, you know what you can do with with cancer you know sort of the importance of exercise um living your dreams because it's so goddamn important like you know like It's it's such a funny thing, I suppose, because I I feel like I've got this, you know, I've really had to look down the barrel of the gun and I lost my brother as well. You know, like I've I've, there's a lot of stuff and lots of stuff has happened in lots of people's lives. These are pretty significant for me. And I'm like, look, I've done a lot of hard stuff. Like this is what I've decided is important. I'm pretty sure that there's something in it. And so I'm really passionate about sharing it, um, and and hoping that maybe that will help other people sort of think, I guess.
1: Listening to you, absolutely does that. And one other thing I was wondering. There's a few more things, Luke, but one in particular. You were on in episode eleven, which seems like. Such a long time ago, honestly, such a long time ago. We're now on like, what, episode 130-something.
2: Congratulations. That is awesome.
1: But that, but I mean, that's a long time ago, right? So do you think you're the same, Luke, as you were back then in January of 2020?
2: I remember that really well because I was staying with a school friend in Leeds and this was like my first ever like podcast appearance. And that was with you, Helen. It was, It was. I do, I distinctly remember, you know, seeing the Skype screen and like sitting on this sofa <laughs> and I'd just cycled a day with my other godmother, you know, and I, and I look back to that time and I think there, there are some things are the same and some things that are different, like every answer. Um, the thing that is the same, I think, is the, I think it's a core belief of mine that every day should be worth living and you've got to sort of, um, you've, you've, you've got to, for me, I've got to be able to answer the question. If I was to die tomorrow, would I be happy with how I've spent today? Have I spent my time in like, you know, what I deem to be a rich and fulfilling manner? Um, and I think that's one thing that's changed um, over the course of the ride. You know, I've been so fortunate to drink very deeply at the well of travel. Um, I'm now really excited to have a bit more stability and do the things that I can't do when I'm traveling. You know, and like that's almost that's a bit of a like a surprise to me because I thought that I'd probably you know I mean I didn't really think you know I didn't think beyond the end of the ride for sure. I didn't ever sort of think well I'm going to get tired of this. I'll get to Beijing and you know. Uh, But there there are some certain things that are really um, that are difficult about travel, Uh, you know, long distance travel, particularly on a bike, trying to spread a message. Um, So now, you know, the idea of stability is is a a much more attractive one. Um, and, And I think there was no idea of a career or a beyond. And I think that's a really important point to touch upon of something that was very different is that there was there was no, con- yeah, there was no conception of like, beyond Beijing. And, you know, I, I remember it was a question I was asked lots of times throughout this trip. You know, it's time in Georgia, these guys were feeding me or, or, or putting me on a drip of cha-cha, which is like the local spirit. Um, and, you know, just the shots just kept on coming. And I was doing this on an empty stomach because I'd got food poisoning the night before, but that's all another story. Um, and they were like, so what are you going to do after Beijing? And I was like, I just don't think like that, you know, like that, I'm just focusing on today and tomorrow. And you know what, If, if I get to Beijing, well, I'll deal with it then, you know, and I'm sure there are going to be opportunities that come around the corner. But I've changed my mind a little bit on this, but I think it's very easy to live in the future to avoid having to deal with the uh things that you're not happy about in your life today right like it'll be okay in the future you know like i've got this holiday to look forward to so that's fine and i think that to me is a mindset that i want to avoid you know today's got to be worthwhile but there's also planning that does need to be done and that's something i'm trying to work out
1: one thing which i i i haven't actually said to you at all even off like the chat or anything but it it sort of dawned on me i thought wow you know luke has completed this expedition most of your friends i'm going to guess and imagine are probably doing like graduate jobs and you know are sort of settling down getting married whatever and actually has that had that ever really been on your mind after that cancer diagnosis that And then suddenly you kind of get back and you're like, "Ah."
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's um, something I've thought a lot about recently, Helen. Um, Yeah, like, I don't know where to start with it really. yeah, I, oh, it, it, yeah. This this is this is sort of difficult because I suppose you're trying to work out what I what I want to do, and that being, um, and and it's something I've been to sort of t- to take it back to a the theme. Something I've been sort of really spending a lot of time thinking about recently, and I mentioned it, reference it earlier. That I feel like you know I found a way of living for me that's like really important uh, because I've had some really hard experiences, and then I'm like how does this sit alongside what everyone else is doing and i think what you know i'm you, everyone does in life what is right what they feel is right for them at that point totally um and i think one thing i'm really excited to do is support my friends and you know people who i care about in whatever they want to do um and and i think in the past you know what, i I'll, I'll completely. You know, I think I've been quite judgmental. You know, I've been like, you know, you don't have long guys, You don't have long. Is this what you want to do? And but like, it, it, maybe it really is. You know, and there's only so much you can do. Um, you know, in, in sharing your own message. So you know, you know what? I'm not perfect. Um, definitely, things I've struggled with as well. Is
1: anyone? Is anyone, Luke? <laughs> <laughs> no. Nobody's perfect. And uh, Luke, is it any easier at all now to think about the future now that you've done your ride? Is that just a ridiculous question?
2: Um, I think I want to try and straddle that balance between living in, in, in the day and each day being worthwhile, but then also acknowledging that, you know, particularly in a UK context, you need to plan if you want to do stuff. And I mean this in like a really simple way that if you want to see a friend, um, you kind of need to book that in two weeks in advance. That's like the way that life works here, which is totally different from a place like India. Right. Like the way it works in India is you want to see your friend. Well, you walk over to their house, you open their front door, which isn't locked and you walk into their room and you say hi. And it's not the faux pas that it would be here in in the UK right like someone just turns up in your your door and you're like oh I'm here for coffee you're like this is my space this is my time what are you doing
1: I've already got a zillion things on my to-do list
2: (laughs) exactly exactly I'm doing a podcast right now what are you doing I'm busy why didn't you tell me this and um you know but it's very different in a place like India but like coming back to the UK I'm realizing that you know that there are different ways and they're not better or worse they're just different um yeah and to to, achieve stuff that i want to achieve yeah that's going to take more more planning and thought and um i i think it's a sort of a moment to um yeah I, i remember having a chat with a very good friend uh we were on the southwest coast path um He had cancer when he was a teenager and he also didn't really know if he was, you know, if there was a set end point, you know, and he said, you know, Luke, at some point I just had to decide that it wasn't going to come back and I was going to live my life on that basis. Um, And I think that's the sort of point where I'm at and I, you know, I hesitate to say absolutely one way or another, but I kind of said to myself, if I finish this ride, then from that point, I might sort of think in a slightly more longer term scale.
1: And I think that is, uh, I don't think I articulated it very well. And I guess that was possibly what I was trying to say with the question before about like those graduate jobs and Mm. things. And I it probably wouldn't have even been on your radar because you would have just thought, well, I'm not going to be here Mm. in six months' time. So what's the point? Mm.
2: Yeah, I think I'm really keen for whatever comes next to do it because uh, I'm it seems like the, the, the most exciting or you know, thing that I can, can do rather than feeling like I should do it. And that also applies to like adventure. Um, you know, I had a very interesting conversation with someone recently who had also cycled, um, gone a, a hugely long way, much further than me, gone all the way to Singapore. And, and he had to stop because of the pandemic. And he said, you know, um, if, if it was me in your situation, you know, like you've got this opportunity to turn this into a career uh, and, and possibly I do. And I might, but I need to be really sure that I'm doing it for the right reasons rather than being like, hey, I like the idea of calling myself an explorer. That's pretty cool. You know, um, so it's, it's really important to do stuff for the for the right reasons. And whether that's a graduate job um, or whether that's writing a book or um, you know, whether that's going off on another adventure or doing something totally different.
1: You raised, hundreds of thousands of pounds, like £300,000 for, for various charities. What is the one thing, Luke, that you would like that, I don't know, money to to do?
2: It's a really good question, Helen. I, For me, personally, the thing that I felt that helped me most going through my cancer treatment was being active and i credit uh, uh, that be, being active and that the mindset that goes with it um to to being here today i think there are other facts as well of course um you know the the, 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 the drugs the, the, the medical team family support the diet is on but for me that was like the probably the number one thing so I would love to see in the UK and beyond the way that um doctors see and talk about exercise as part of treatment and as like a really necessary part of treatment um that would make me super happy to see that change.
1: I I agree 100 percent with that one. Luke. Preaching to the choir <laughs> right now, but yeah, exactly um, <laughs> to me. But no, it would be incredible to see something. Uh, I mean, everywhere, like you say, but in Australia, some hospitals would have gyms attached to them, and and patients would go and exercise, like what? Not at the very same time, but maybe just before they go to the ward, or just after they've been on the ward for their treatment. And yeah, and I think that would be incredible to see further afield um when is the book going to be out and what is the overriding message that you want people to take away um yeah so i'm i'm, I'm running a book right now
2: we're making a documentary Those two are my two big projects um these things usually take a little while something in the region of 18 months maybe a bit more than that so but hopefully like christmas 2023 20, that would be like super ambitious super ambitious but that's something to aim for um you know, the, the, the message the message from this podcast, I mean, for me, what I think is that, you know, we, we, we don't have much time. Um, life can seem like a really scary place. And to go outside of your comfort zone it, it, it involves taking risks. Uh, and th- th- there are things that are going to get in the way and there are, there are challenges. Uh, but it's been my experience that, like, taking those risks and taking those opportunities, uh is something that i very rarely regretted and i think for me it's been like the best thing of my life to go and go out and live live my dream and whatever form it takes for anyone who's listening i would love them to sort of think about how they can go about making it happen even even in like a really small way
1: thank you so so much it's been an absolute joy
2: no thank you helen as always it's been lovely
1: What a fantastic interview with the wonderful Luke Grenfell-Shaw. He really is a remarkable person. If you want to find out more about Luke, you can check him out on his website, bristol2beijing.org. That is the figure two. On Instagram and Facebook and Twitter as well, you'll find everything there. There are also links to everything in the show notes, so go and have a look through them. The biggest way that you can help this podcast is by sharing this episode so if you have enjoyed it if you've been inspired by some of the things that Luke has said and you think someone else might benefit from hearing it then please do pass it on share it on social media it makes a massive massive difference thank you so much for listening there are loads of more awesome episodes so go and check them out and we will speak again next time